scrolling through Facebook the other day and I saw this article. Caught my eye when I had a look at it. And did you know that Greeks don't flush toilet paper? They what? have a designated shit basket. Oh wipe their ass and put the toilet paper in the basket. Oh, that's disgusting. Hey, Greeks, you say? Greeks, yes. Their shitty infrastructure, much like their economy, can't handle yeah, toilet paper. I was going to say, no wonder their fucking country collapsed. They're uh, running around fucking throwing shitty toilet paper in can, baskets. Can you imagine that? Like, you have to wipe your ass. You can't put it in the toilet. you got to put it in a basket. It sits in that basket. Uh, in the nah, it's disgusting. Alright, that was the Kinks with Lola. Girls will be boys and boys will be girls. It's a mixed up, muddled up, shook up world. Today we are mixing things up, muddling things up, shaking things up. We're each going to talk about something totally unrelated to each other with the others not knowing what we're going to talk about. It's going to be a total wild card. Wild card, bitches! <laughs> we've, uh, we've all brought something unique to the table My name is Morgan, I am your host And I'm joined by Lachlan Hello And Brad, who is a bad person Hey guys How are we today guys? Are we ready to get wild with it? Oh baby I am primed and fully jacked <laughs> Fully talked Fully talked <laughs> I'm, uh, We haven't told each other what we're going to talk about But I'm a little bit worried no. that um, Brad it get really, a little bit really weird. <laughs> Brad's, Brad, the only thing Brad's told me is that he seems to think I'm not going to enjoy his one, so <laughs> which means that <laughs> we will enjoy it. Suitably hor- horrified. Uh, pay, um, pay back for the furries episode. <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> that was all I was thinking about while I was doing this. Is like, I'm going to horrify more <laughs> that fucking furries bullshit. Oh, why does it look get any of it? Well, I because be he's horrified. probably as depraved as I am, so <laughs> <laughs> it's like fighting fire with fire, doesn't it? It's pissing, pissing in an ocean, ocean of piss. piss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so, as I said, we really have no fucking idea what each other are going to talk about. So we have to warn you that there might might be wild tonal shifts. Maybe one of us will talk about something stupid and ridiculous, and then the next will talk about something really sad or really horrible or really scary or apparently really gross, Brad. Uh, We don't know. (laughs) It's a total wild card. Wild card, bitches! Fantastic. This could go anyway, but I'm sure it's going to be fun. So... I think we have decided that, uh, Lachlan, you'll be speaking first. Uh, yeah. And I Do guess you want to really crack open a cold one with a the wild card before? Because you haven't introduced my segment. <laughs> <laughs> it's time to crack open a cold one with the boys. Now, this one really is a wild card because uh, instead of a beer, I've got wine in a can. Oh, <laughs> that is fucking disgusting. I got Jacob's Creek Moscato in a can. It is one and a half standard drinks, and that's a 250ml can. So uh, it's much smaller than a normal beer can. They're normally 375ml. That's packing a punch. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I thought I'd just go something different, something crazy for uh, this very special wildcard episode. Uh-huh. <laughs> Still got a good snap on it. Yeah. I don't like it. 
<laughs> I think uh, Moscato is the only one that Brad drinks, isn't it? Look, I'll only drink things that are, like a sweet one. So Moscato, I'll drink and I'll drink oh, the ice super wine sweet. Well. Yeah, yeah, and it's funny that you're um, we're calling this a wildcard episode, and you played that clip of Charlie Kelly from "It's Always Sunny" because one of my favorite, maybe my favorite, but one of my favorite episodes of "It's Always Sunny" is <laughs> when the gang is all drinking water, yeah, drinking water in a can. <laughs> <laughs> Key and difference being, a- this came in a can. They're drinking cask wine in Diet Coke cans. <laughs> red, red cask wine. <laughs> oh, I um, hate red wine. Uh, yeah, okay. So, Lucky, do you want to start us off with our first segment? All right, let's do it. Welcome, bitches. So, I'm going to talk to you guys today, not just you guys, to our loyal listeners as well. I'm going to talk to you about Dennis Rodman. <laughs> so, so Dennis Rodman is a former NBA superstar turned talk show host, turned actor, turned professional wrestler, turned serial reality TV show guest, turned sports ambassador, turned international diplomatic negotiator. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) He had a tough childhood. His father left his family when Dennis was young and moved to the Philippines where he spread his seed far and wide. Dennis is the oldest of 47 children. What? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Holy shit. Uh, Despite later becoming what NBA.com describes as arguably the best rebounding forward in NBA history, he was bullied as a child because his two younger sisters, the ones he actually shares a mother with, were much better at basketball than he was. The two of them would go on to become all Americans, while the five foot six Dennis was continually benched or cut from the teams he joined. After finishing school, he took a job as a night janitor at Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport and, after going through a massive growth spurt, shooting up to six foot seven, so he grew over a foot, uh, decided to give basketball another shot. Height, of course, is all you need to be good at basketball. So he immediately (laughs) started a successful career at Cook County College, then Southeastern Oklahoma State University, where he became a three-time All-American. After being voted most valuable player at the Portsmouth Invitational Tournament, he was drafted by the Detroit Pistons in 1986. Now, Rodman was very successful over the next few years, but the real show started when he was traded to the Chicago Bulls in 1995, where he became one-third of the Magic Trio alongside Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. Oh, Scotty. I'm not into basketball, but even I know that this combination is, still to this day, widely regarded as the best forward lineup of all time. In the three years they played together, they won three titles. The Bulls have not been back to the finals since. (laughs) In 1999, Dennis was traded to the LA Lakers, and from there his NBA career fizzled out. The rest of his career, however, was just getting started. In 1996, he hosted his own talk show on MTV called the Rodman World Tour, where he interviewed celebrities such as Jay Leno, Whoopi Goldberg, and Kelsey Grammer, often in oddball situations. Like, he would interview people from, like, his bedroom and stuff like that. Uh, He also, (laughs) that year, he also contributed vocals to Pearl Jam's Black, Red, Yellow, which was written about Dennis himself. Missing 27 games in 1997 due to a mixture of a knee injury and suspension for kicking a cameraman in the groin, Rodman Rodman put his energy into one of his hobbies, wrestling, and decided to go pro. He joined the NWO and made numerous appearances in tag team matches alongside Hulk Hogan. 
After the 1998 NBA Finals, Dennis and the Hulkster squared off against Carl Malone of the Utah Jazz, who the Bulls had just beaten, and Diamond Dallas Page. <laughs> In 1999, he had an ongoing feud with Randy Savage in the WCW, <laughs> and in 2000, he lost to Kurt Hennig right here in Australia in the iGeneration Superstars of Wrestling Rodman Down Under pay-per-view event, after which he retired. <laughs> also in 1997, Rodman started his acting career. He made his debut in Double Team alongside Jean-Claude Van Damme which currently has a whopping 11% on Rotten Tomatoes, <laughs> and earned him three Razzies. Worst new star, worst supporting actor, and worst <laughs> screen couple, which he shared with JCVD. <laughs> Ash, my wife and I watched Double Team the other night, and I think 11% is generous. <laughs> <laughs> it, it doesn't even loop back around into, like, so good it's bad territory. It just sucks. Oh, wow. <laughs> Love this uh, movie review. <laughs> uh, Rodman followed this up with roles in Simon Says, Cutaway, and a TV show called Special Ops Force, uh, all of which were panned by critics. And He's we, also I've made appearances of, so. on Third Rock from the Sun and The Simpsons, yeah. playing uh, falsified versions of himself. Mm. Starting in 2006, Dennis moved into reality television. He was a housemate on Celebrity Big Brother UK, and over the next few years, he would appear on Love Island, Celebrity Mole, Hulk Hogan's Celebrity Championship Wrestling, Celebrity Apprentice, twice, and Celebrity Rehab with Dr. Drew. (laughs) Before we get to the most important part of Dennis Rodman's life, I just want to list some of his other achievements so you can all truly understand how bizarre this is. He was the first man to pose naked for a PETA photo shoot. He was the commissioner for the Lingerie Football League, which <laughs> has since been renamed to the Legends Football League. I didn't know that. I found that out in researching this, which I think is fucking bullshit. It's a very prestigious title, though. Uh, he's released five books, four of which are autobiographies, and the most recent, <laughs> Dennis the Wild Bull, is a children's storybook. He visited- Still autobiographical. He visited the Vatican in 2013 during voting in the papal conclave purely to promote an Irish gambling website. (laughs) He's been married three times, most notably to Carmen Electra. Oh, yeah. And in recent years, in most of his media appearances, he's wearing some sort of merchandise uh, advertising something called Potcoin, which is a marijuana-based cryptocurrency. (laughs) He was wearing that on CNN, I saw. Yeah. (laughs) It's weird. Okay. So, let's get into the meaty part. Kim Jong-un, the supreme leader of the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, is a big Chicago Bulls fan. At the start of 2013, the North Koreans contacted the Bulls, extending an invitation for Michael Jordan to come visit. Michael Jordan declined. So, they got in touch with Scottie Pippen. He also declined. (laughs) Third time's the charm, though, and Dennis Rodman, not knowing a goddamn thing about North Korea or having any idea who Kim Jong-un is, accepted the invitation to go visit Norco. The first time Dennis saw Kim Jong-un was in a huge basketball stadium. The stands packed with spectators. Kim entered to a thunderous applause and cheering, some of the crowd even crying tears of joy. What a great and respected leader, Dennis thought. 
These people <laughs> must truly love him. <laughs> By the time Rodman came back to America, he and Kim Jong-un were best friends. Despite being constantly grilled by the media on how he could possibly befriend such a cruel dictator, Dennis stood firm. I don't give a shit what people say. He's my friend. He hadn't seen anything bad in his visit, so, as far as he was concerned, Kim Jong-un was doing a bang-up job. (laughs) If you've seen the interview starring James Franco and Seth Rogen, you know exactly how his visit went. (laughs) Getting ready to go back to North Korea in late 2013, Dennis read an opinion piece pushing for him to ask Kim Jong-un to release then-in-prison Christian missionary Kenneth Bay. Okay, he responded in a tweet. But after this visit, he refused to speak to the media about Bay. In January of 2014, Rodman visited North Korea again, this time with a group of retired NBA players to hold an exhibition match against the North Korean basketball team. When interviewed on TV and asked about Kenneth Bay, Dennis exploded at the interviewer, saying that if they truly understood what Bay had done, they would understand why he was in prison. Oh. What, what Bay had done uh, was try to sped, spread Christianity to the Koreans. He was in prison oh. for disseminating religious texts. That is a bad idea. <laughs> uh, Dennis later admitted to being drunk during this interview and most of this visit. But I guess something got through to him, because in November of 2014, Kenneth Bay was released back into American custody. You might call it a coincidence, but Bay himself credits Rodman for his early release, as he brought attention to his cause. In 2017, Dennis went back to North Korea, telling the media he was on a mission to open doors, and that his friend and now President Donald Trump would be pleased. Shortly after arriving in Pyongyang, the North Koreans released American student Otto Warmbier, who had been imprisoned two years earlier for attempting to steal a governmental propaganda poster while on a guided trip through Norco. Allegedly. The, they actually have video footage of it, to be fair. Allegedly. The US <laughs> State Department claims Rodman had no involvement in Warmbier's release, but we know the truth. Yes. <laughs> Dennis tried to visit North Korea again, but was stopped by US officials who told him it was not a good time. So in June of 2018, he flew to Singapore during the historic meeting between Kim Jong-un and Donald Trump. He hadn't been invited, but told the press he wanted to be there to support both his friends in whatever way he could. Dennis hasn't been back to Korea since, uh, but he was most recently in the news in May of this year for allegedly stealing $3,500 worth of merchandise from a yoga studio. (laughs) <laughs> including a $2,500, 180-kilo crystal geode. Dennis says he didn't steal anything. The owner told him, get anything you want. Huh. It's Dennis fucking Rodman. That's the very bizarre story of Dennis Rodman. I've really only managed to scratch the surface. Uh, so if you want to hear more about him, there's a bunch of videos on YouTube talking about more weird shit that he's done. <laughs> he, uh... Um, as weird as he is and as crazy as he is, he was actually in a really unique position where he was friends with Kim Jong-un, clearly, mm-hmm. and he knew Trump personally from his two appearances on from the, the Celebrity, Celebrity Apprentice. Apprentice. That's right. Mm. So, he was actually somebody who, probably the only person in the world who's friends with both Kim Jong-un and Donald yeah, Trump. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely he is. That's what you makes could, it so bizarre. But he was like, born we for that moment. <laughs> yeah, but we d- we don't know what 
led to Kim Jong-un agreeing to meet Donald Trump in Singapore. It might have been Dennis Rodman saying, like, oh, no, it like, was 100% Dennis Rodman. I, I like, give him full credit for uh, the negotiations. He'd be saying to Kim Jong-un, like, no, Donald Trump's a really cool guy. Like, I talked to him on The Apprentice. Like, he's different. He'll be really good. You know, you need to talk to him. And then he could have been saying the same thing to Trump. Like, you know, he seems mm-hmm. like a crazy guy, but Kim Jong-un's really reasonable and he'll listen and stuff. So, he might have actually mediated a meeting between Absolutely. these uh, guys. Absolutely. So- there, are, there are theories that Trump sent him into Korea on purpose to uh, sort of open a back channel for communication. Um, All those years ago. Yeah, in 2013. <laughs> um, I, I, I'd like, not even joking, I give him full credit for, for the current state of communications between North Korea and America because there's no way he didn't open that door. You heard yeah, it here gosh. first. Dennis Roman averted a nuclear disaster. He absolutely did. <laughs> certainly, certainly partial credit. And yeah, I do think it's, it's weird that, you know, um, if you had have told somebody in the mid-90s that this, like... <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, this even if you, if you told someone... If you told someone in the mid-90s that Trump was going to be president, they'd think you were crazy. <laughs> but if you told someone in the mid-90s that this, this like, yeah, bad boy basketballer from the Chicago Bulls was going to be um, arranging or, you know, sorting out this meeting between North Korea and the United States <laughs> and playing a really important diplomatic That's role... That's right. People think you're fucking crazy. That's right. Dennis Rodman, Dennis Rodman of the Chicago Bulls is <laughs> negotiating peace between North Korea, one of the world's nuclear superpowers, <laughs> and pre- President of the United States, Donald Trump. Like, <laughs> you tell someone that 10 years ago. <laughs> Best timeline, boys. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, it is, it is really... A really strange situation. It's just, and yeah, it's just such a bizarre, bizarre story. And I think Dennis Rodman is, you know, maybe you could say he's naive for going to North Korea originally or whatever. Yes, but I absolutely. think he just, he is a very genuine sort of guy and he just would take something at face value like that because he's kind of got yep, an innocent definitely. soul, you think. Genuinely uh, yep, stopping I 100% room. agree with that. If you, you can watch interviews, especially the interview he did uh, from Singapore while the summit was happening. He like... He teared up because he was just so happy to see these two countries like finally attempting to to make peace. Yeah, and I I really like something about that interview that he was talking about how people told him he was crazy and people were um, saying it couldn't be done and stuff like that and like um, that he shouldn't be talking to Kim Jong-un. And yeah, he was like, you know, fuck you. You got this. (laughs) That's right. This this is my day. He, He gets to celebrate. So. Yeah. Oh, and for anyone who doesn't know what Dennis Rodman looks like, definitely look him up on Google Images. Yeah. Looks like he's got a tennis ball for a head. <laughs> <laughs> oh. It's the heck. It's uh, ridiculous. The first page of Google Images will probably he'll probably have about sixteen different hair colours. Um, mm. <laughs> just covered in piercings. Even even in the movie Double Team, I think and this is set over like two or three days, I think. <laughs> His hair changed oh, no. about fifteen times. Like, <laughs> from from scene to scene, his hair changed color. Oh, you <laughs> so know that, they obviously yeah. they obviously shot it out of sequence, and he just refused to keep his hair the same color. Yeah, because yeah. he's always <laughs> dying at weird colors. They have continued continuity, uh, continuity experts on, like they pay for that kind of thing to go through yeah. scenes and yeah. make sure everything stays the same. They would have it would have been a fucking nightmare working with. <laughs> 
We were like, change your hairstyle. He's like, no, it's not fresh enough. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Fuck you. I'll kick that you in the so, <laughs> That was so two weeks ago. Uh, uh, all right. So, Brad, do you want to tell us your segment and uh, potentially horrify me? Uh, Looking forward so to this. Mm. Maybe the anticipation. I'll just just draw it out a little longer because it's just going to make you feel even worse. <laughs> just Get into edging it. us, edging uh. us there. <laughs> uh, stop this smutty talk. Let's get into it. Ah, uh, well, boys, I've got an absolute hum dinger for you. Hit us now. You're not going to recognize wait. this name off the top of your head, but Anatoly Yurovich Moskvin. All right, this unassuming man from the Soviet Union would go on to make worldwide headlines in 2011 when 26 bodies were discovered in his apartment. Oh, my gosh. The unusual state of the bodies when they were discovered led to his eerie moniker, the Russian doll man. Oh, no. <laughs> nah. Nah. Right, you thought this was going to freak Morgs out. I'm, I, no, I can't listen to this. <laughs> right, thanks for that, Brad. Let's... Um... <laughs> Oh, mate, I did not want to hear about furries, so you're going to sit there and fucking listen to this. (laughs) All right. To understand Anatoly, we must go back to his childhood. Born September 1st, 1966, in Nizhny Novgorod, USSR, according to his parents, Anatoly was an extremely socially awkward child, but also extremely intelligent. Sound like anyone we know, (laughs) Morgs? I'm flattered, I think. <laughs> Unlike my co-host, Anatoly was frequently bullied, and as rough as his childhood was, he made it to age 13 without any weird behaviour or occurrences. All that changed, however, when one day, uh, Anatoly encountered several men dressed in black on his way home from school. The men were on their way to the funeral of an 11-year-old girl named Natasha Petrova. The men forced Anatoly to come to the funeral, and horrifyingly, he was made to kiss the young girl's body, not once, but three times. Ah, right, hold on. I just want to stop you. So these strangers just mm-hmm. saw this kid on the street. They're like, yep. we're going to a funeral. You're fucking coming to this funeral as well. They dragged him along. Yep. That is fucking Sounds weird. fake. Yeah. After he was forced <laughs> to kiss the body three times, the girl's mother placed a ring on his finger and told him that he was now married to her. What the fuck? This began his obsession with the dead. Jesus Christ. Anatoly now began to see the dead, uh, see Natasha in his dreams. She spoke to him about black magic, and the only way he could stop her was to visit her grave. He told his parents of the girl haunting his dreams, and they quickly took him to a doctor. Soviet-era medicine being the (laughs) steaming pile of garbage it was... (laughs) His parents were assured that it was nothing, just a boy going through puberty. Take him to a doctor. Take him to a fucking priest. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Exercise that much. After 12 months of unrelenting visits from the deceased Natasha, she told Anatoly he could be rid of her if he was able to complete a black magic ritual using one of his classmates' teeth. Mm. Anatoly somehow how'd obtained get, the tooth. How did he get the teeth, Brad? He never never said. How do, how do you just get someone's tooth? <laughs> Knock it out. <laughs> this is making me uncomfortable already. Uh, well, he successfully completed the ritual. Natasha was gone, but Anatoly's love of the dead, black magic, and the occult had just begun. After graduating, Anatoly had a successful academic career. He got a degree in Celtic Studies and went on to learn a, purpo- a purported 
purported, 13 languages. As his academic career progressed, so did his secret love of all things macabre. Anatoly joined the Society of the Luciferians and practiced black magic on dead animals. By the time Anatoly had graduated, his extensive writing listed his intimate knowledge of all the surrounding cemeteries. After graduation, Anatoly and Oleg Ryabov, a well-known historian, decided to write a book together. The book was to be called Nizhny Novgorod Necropolis and would detail the local history and catalogue cemeteries in the region. From 2007 to two, uh, 2005 to 2007, Anatoly visited over 752 cemeteries in the name of research. Quote-unquote research. Yes, quote-unquote. In 2009, the residents of Nizhny Novgorod, again, if I butchered this, sorry to our Russian listeners, uh, began to notice a disturbing trend. Many of their loved ones' graves have been desecrated or entirely dug up. Oh, God. This kick-started a two-year investigation by police, but to no avail. No one knew what was happening to the bodies or the graves. Uh. Now, I mentioned that Anatoly Moskovin was discovered with 26 bodies in his hand. Uh. But he was no murderer. Uh. Oh, thank God. A terrorist attack I think that makes it worse. <laughs> no, no, that's definitely better. Oh, I'm not sure you're going to be saying that in about two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> a terrorist attack in 2011 brought about an anti-Muslim sentiment in Russia, and as police were staking out graveyards to catch people desecrating Muslim graves, one of the people caught was Anatoly Moskovin. Police quickly searched his residence, and what they found was sickening. Anatoly had been digging up the bodies of young women and bringing them home. Yes, you heard me right. This crazy cunt was making life-sized dolls out of deceased young women. (sighs) The ages of the girls ranged from 3 to 15. Oh my god. Anatoly would dry their bodies with salt and baking soda before bringing them to his place. As the bodies would dry further, to prevent them from shrinking, he would stuff them with rags and other padding. And he would often coat the faces with wax. Each doll was dressed in standard attire, and many had makeup and wigs. Anatoly denied having any sexual attraction to the dolls. Rather, he saw them as lost children, and he was their new father. That's probably worse. Anatoly told police... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that he would talk and interact with them, sing songs to them, watch cartoons with them, oh, and even celebrate birthdays. That is way worse. I would honestly prefer <laughs> to hear that he was fucking the dead bodies. Oh, it gets even worse. <laughs> oh, <I> can't. <laughs> Unbelievably, Anatoly lived with his parents. What? <laughs> I kid you not. His Were parents- they both fucking blind? His parents thought he just had a creepy doll collection and never questioned <laughs> him on it. Jesus. To their credit, the dolls looked like knockoff Michael Myers by the time Anatoly was done with them. But fuck me, maybe have the discussion. <laughs> just, just my thought. Maybe go, hey, you know, there's 26 dolls you've got sitting in your lounge room. Maybe, maybe what the fuck's going on there? Oh, I don't God. know, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, Anatoly actively cooperated with the police and was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. Declared unfit for trial, he was committed to a psychiatric facility indefinitely. Um, in court, when asked why he did what he did, Moskvin said, To the victims' families, to their face, you abandoned your girls, I brought them home and warmed them up. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> we, we, can't, we can't air this episode. Yes, we can. We can and will. 
So Moskvin is still in this psychiatric facility. Thank and he was God. most recently denied parole in 2017. Good. A uh, couple of other fun facts. No. He would put buttons in the eyes so that they could look at him. <laughs> he would sew music boss boxes into the chest so that they made noise when he touched them. <sighs> and he believed he could bring them back to life through black magic, which was his ultimate goal. Uh, this guy was obviously very... Very mentally ill. Mm. Um, but he never killed anyone, so... <sighs> yeah, his... <laughs> so there's, uh... there's... There's in... um In, like, the theory of serial killers, there's, there's two basic types. There's process killers, killers mm-hmm. who enjoy the actual act of murder, and there's mm-hmm. product killers who just... They want the bodies to do something fucking weird with them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, get, I guess you couldn't call this guy... A serial killer because he didn't actually no. kill anyone, but he's obviously he would he falls into that that group. But he's, he would be a product killer if he could, like um like Ed Gein. Ed Gein was a product killer. He hated murdering people, but he just had to have these dead. It was a means to an end. Yep. And yeah, he he yeah. robbed a lot of graves as well. Um, yep. But yeah, that was fucked up, and I. <laughs> That's for the furries, you prick. Really am not happy that you told us about uh, that. I, I would have been quite happy living my life not knowing that that had happened. <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> he didn't. <laughs> Sounds like he didn't hurt anyone with the exception of his classmate, potentially, who fucking knocked out his oh, teeth or something. Just, yeah, just, just the families of the girls who lost their loved ones' bodies and then found out they were stuffed and sitting in a fucking creepy 50-year-old man's well, he, fucking he living room. he hurt them psychologically. He didn't hurt them Oh, physically. he fucked them up. And then to their faces to say that you abandoned them. I brought them home and warmed them up. What Abandoned fucking- them. What else do you do with a fucking dead body? Yeah. Uh. Well, dress it up as a doll, apparently. <laughs> Fuck me. <laughs> Dry it out with baking soda and salt, keep it in the lounge room. <laughs> um, I, think uh, I, I think I see the point you're getting at, though, Morgs. He didn't hurt anyone. And a, a dead body. I think we've spoken about this- in one of our philosophy episodes, a dead body is essentially just meat. So mm. <laughs> I guess it doesn't really matter, but uh, it's just fucking weird. He's saying nothing sexual is going on, but surely, like, yeah. I, I honestly, I honestly would be less disturbed to hear that he was just digging these bodies up to have sex with them. <laughs> surely, it's just ah, oh, there Probably is makes something. More sense, doesn't it? There is something disgustingly like mm. unholy about. Like dressing them up and mm. like if you can't, if something's not motivated by sex, then what? Like it just doesn't make sense to me. What? What is it motivated by? We talked about this with the furries, like and the fucking bronies. Like yeah. if it's not a sex thing, then what the fuck is it? Like that's even yeah, worse. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, there's also this video on uh, YouTube from the Russian police who when they oh, went no. into his house. Because they oh. didn't actually know what the dolls were, so there's quite a good, quite a few close-ups of them, and they are horrifying. Like, no, don't look it up. I'm not going to look uh, it up. We're going to link it. Uh, I've got nah, the link. I'm not. And I'm I'd not also like to give out a quick little shout out to Nexpo, which is a YouTube channel. I took a watch. He makes oh, excellent yeah. videos. He's, yeah. he's got good videos, actually. Yeah, and um, yeah, he, he, his his research into the matter was very thorough as well. So took a lot of information from there. So. Go check out Nexpo. He's got a lot of great videos. He has a good video on Dyatlov Pass, actually, but the conclusion he comes to is entirely wrong. Mm. Is that the guy yeah. who said it was the, the chimney? Yeah. Yeah, yeah the he stove? said it was the chimney. Yeah, the stove inside the tent. Mm. No. So, yeah. Um, I must I must say, when you said that you were going to talk about someone who had 26 bodies found in his apartment or his yeah. house, whatever. 
You see what I did? There? I was stressed out big time, but yeah. um, no, it wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't too bad in the end. I think you actually freaked out Lachlan more than you freaked out me, which is quite yeah, an achievement, fun. actually. That was. Really I wanted bad. to keep you in a bit of suspense by just talking about the bodies, but not saying what he'd done to them. It, it was good. I didn't. I didn't like it. <laughs> ah, well, it is with yours. Uh, okay, so <laughs> I'm going to talk about what has been called. The worst video game of all time. <laughs> so, in late June of 1982, Atari secured the rights to make a game based on E.T., the extraterrestrial. This is a good story. This was the oh, biggest shit. movie of the year, the biggest movie of the decade. In fact, adjusting for inflation, it is currently the seventh biggest movie of all time. Ooh. It raked in almost $800 million in 1982 dollars, which is equivalent to about $2.5 billion today. That is crazy so, when you're coming up against your Star Wars and your, your Iron yeah. Man's and fucking- Your Avatar. Your Avatars, Titanics. Titanics, yeah. So how much was Atari willing to pay for the rights to make an E.T. game? <laughs> Apparently, $25 million. Oh, my God. It was late June 1982. The movie had only been out for a few weeks, but Atari wanted to capitalize on the success of the movie and planned for a Christmas release. The only problem with that is, with the physical production of millions of cartridges and the logistics of shipping them throughout the country, this meant the game had to be finished in five weeks. Howard Whoa. Scott Warshaw had designed two of the biggest games for Atari. Yars Revenge and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Given the commercial and critical success of the Raiders game, the CEO of Atari, Ray Kassar, thinks Howard is the perfect guy to adapt another popular movie into an Atari game. Kassar calls up Howard. He says to Howard, he says, can you do E.T. in five weeks? <laughs> Howard says, you betcha. And his first task uh. is to come up with a concept and get Steven Spielberg, the director of E.T., to sign off on it. He flies down to LA and Spielberg is not impressed. Couldn't you do something more like Pac-Man, he says? <laughs> uh, Games are my thing. Stick to movies and just sign the fucking document, Stephen. Howard <laughs> presumably says. <laughs> Howard is confident after his previous two releases. Not only were they massive commercial successes, but they were both innovative and creative in their own way. He was determined to innovate again, and he had a game development station moved into his house so he could work on the game every minute of the day that he wasn't sleeping. Now, I don't know if Howard was high for those five weeks or if he was delusional <laughs> from stress and lack of sleep. Maybe he just lost his Midas touch, but the game he designed was total fucking dog shit. Perhaps he should have taken Spielberg's advice and just made a Pac-Man clone with a little E.T. eating Reese's Pieces instead of fruit. <laughs> I'd pay so, for it. So I've played this ridiculous game. I'll put a link in the description to a place where you can play it online. The idea is for E.T., who is a green blob, to find component parts of a phone, assemble it, and call home to get a spaceship to come and pick him up. The phone pieces are at the bottom of these wells, or pits, that E.T. falls in whenever you walk over them. <laughs> While you are collecting these pieces, two people are chasing you. An FBI agent, who will take all your phone pieces, and a scientist, who will take you away to study you. All this would be clear if you read the manual which came with the box. However, 
what sort of maniac rips open a video game on Christmas morning and starts reading a short story before they begin playing? (laughs) I wanted to emulate the experience of these kids on Christmas Day 1982, so I started playing without reading the manual. The learning curve to this game is a fucking flat line. The people chasing you are... The people chasing you are faster than you, and they pop out of nowhere, right beside you. There are weird symbols flashing up at the top of the screen all the time that are not at all intuitive. Falling into a pit is annoying and seems like something you need to avoid, rather than something you need to actively do in order to find pieces to complete the game. I'm a smart guy, and I've played a lot of video games, and I couldn't figure out what the fuck was going on. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> I can hear you from here, though. Just read the manual, Morgan. You can figure it out. Just read the manual. Well, the thing about E.T. is, after ten minutes of being assaulted by this stupid game and its <laughs> stupid fucking pits, you have no desire to continue playing it properly or otherwise. E.T. Um. is a weird green blob, traversing six different screens, five of which are also green. These six separate <laughs> screens are not linear, and they do not loop as you would expect. In fact, before you learn how the map is set out, you'd think there are way more than six screens. But no, there are six screens. And for no fucking reason whatsoever, they are positioned like six sides of a cube. This is not even explained in the manual. It's not even in the manual. It means that if you're on one screen and you move down, then left, then up, then right, you would expect to be back at the original screen. No, going down, left, up brings you back to the original screen because you're an, on a fucking cube unbeknownst to you. <laughs> if you go down and then you go across and then you go back up, you're on the original screen. How does that make any sense? <laughs> Think about that. Um, how confusing it is to try to get back to where you were before. During gameplay, you will inevitably fall into green pits and you have to levitate back out. But the pits are so poorly designed that if one pixel of E.T. collides with one pixel of the pit, then you fall straight back in. There are many gaps between the pits that aren't large enough for every pixel of E.T. to clear. Then, levitating out requires you to push E.T. in a certain direction, which means you have to time when to stop holding up. If you're slightly too late, you'll fall straight back into the pit after you get out. (laughs) After this happens two or three times and you realise it's not your fault, you'll be raging. (laughs) <laughs> Often when you are when you change screens, you'll fall into a pit immediately. You did nothing wrong. You just moved to a different screen and ended up in a pit, and now you can't get out because you keep falling back in. <laughs> if you haven't snapped the game cartridge by now, then I guess it's time to read the manual. But even with the manual, the game is like a memory puzzle. There is so much stupid, unintuitive stuff to remember. And simply, the game is not fun. You have to avoid being captured by people, but also avoid letting your sprite touch any dark green pixel or you'll fall in a fucking pit and get stuck in a loop trying to get out. It's annoying. (laughs) So annoying, in fact, that many people started demanding refunds. They took their cartridges back to the store and probably uh, abused some innocent salespeople. A lot of negativity came out because of this game. Uh, Four million copies of E.T. were produced, but only 1.5 million sold. Basically, if you didn't get it for Christmas, then your friend, who did get it for Christmas, told you how fucking horrendous it was and you didn't bother buying it later. (laughs) Ray Kassar, CEO of Atari, claims that they received back 
3.5 million of the 4 million cartridges that they made. Oh, <laughs> oh that's a big oof. Most were sent back from stores as unsold inter- in- inventory, and the rest were customer returns. Unhappy customers. <laughs> so, what do you do with 3.5 million cartridges that you can't give away? <laughs> yeah, I know. Atari obviously wanted to keep this embarrassing blunder hush hush. They couldn't deny that the game had been critically panned, and they wouldn't bother claiming that the game was a roaring success commercially, but they didn't want to go around shouting about how they had all these unsold games to dispose of. Rumours started about this crazy conspiracy theory that Atari went out to New Mexico and dumped in a landfill (laughs) a bunch of their unsold games, (laughs) primarily E.T. and the woefully bad Atari adaption of Pac-Man. This urban legend has persisted ever since, because who can resist the myth, the conspiracy, the legend (laughs) of video games so bad that Atari had to dump their shame out of state in secret? Well, in 2014, some guys who had been going deep into this conspiracy theory decided that enough was enough. Let's start digging shit up and see what we can find. (laughs) They filmed a documentary, which I have seen, and proved that this fake news was actually real news, like almost every other conspiracy. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for finally acknowledging. Uh. Atari had indeed buried a bunch of cartridges out in New Mexico. Estimates vary to the total number, but James Haller, who was on scene for the excavation, admits that, (laughs) as the Atari manager in charge of the burial, he buried 728,000 cartridges in this landfill. Oh my god. In that landfill. (laughs) If he he admits to 700,000, then it's probably like 10 times that amount. (laughs) Anyway, 1,300 cartridges were removed from the burial site during the excavation. The, sil- the city of Alamo Gordo re- refilled the site and confirmed that this was a one-time deal. No <laughs> going back. No more excavations. As a consequence, many of these 1,300 cartridges have gone on to be sold as collector's items, a genuine piece of video game history. In fact, mm. one of the ET cartridges was taken by the Smithsonian due to its cultural relevance. Oh, wow. So that's the story of the worst video game of all time. <laughs> was that, good story. Um, that was the guys from Angry Video Game Nerd, right? Who were who did that documentary? Uh, I'm not sure. Don't think so. I know. I know was he uh, James Rolfe has got a copy of it. I thought he was from there. Anyway, sorry. The, uh, the guy who wrote the book Ready Player One that was adapted into that movie, but the guy who wrote the book was part of the excavation team. And oh, that's a fucking shit house movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that, that that's crazy. That caused the entire video game market to crash. That game was so bad. Yep. Yeah, it was like they, they it, lost complete confidence in video games. Like there was just so much shit being churned. Yeah, out. like it it wasn't the cause, but it was like the catalyst. It was the thing that kind of tipped oh, it the over straw the edge. that broke the canvas back. I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we had yeah, to wait cause... a few years for uh, glorious Nintendo to save us all. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, Atari had a few big. Um, fuck ups like that, and yeah. the the fuck up they had before that was their Pac Man game, which was yeah, a, like it was trying to copy the arcade game, but it looked really bad, and yeah. the gameplay was really crappy, and the the um yeah. ghost flashed and stuff like that, and they actually they were so confident that Pac Man was such a big arcade game that they they produced more cartridges 
for Pac-Man than they had sold Atari consoles. Holy <laughs> shit. So they thought because of Pac-Man, people are going to buy an Atari cartridge <laughs> to <laughs> play Pac-Man. So we need They're going to play it so much they wear out their cartridge. Gee, I wonder why cartridge. Atari aren't around today. <laughs> oh, man. I love that confidence there. <laughs> but, like, that was, like, the area, like, the, the, one of the other things that caused it was just so many third parties just wanted to get in on that. Mm-hmm. Atari money, so they were like like Philips, the electronics brand made like the CDR. Oh, the CDI, just, yeah, yeah, CDI. So it was just trash, like absolutely garbage. And the games hey, they ridiculous. they got Nintendo to fucking let them make games for it, so <laughs> can't have been that bad. <laughs> that Zelda game is Zelda and the Wand Gamelon. <laughs> that's a story for another day. That is that is one of those things that's so bad it loops back around to being good. That's um, right. But yeah, the ET unfortunately yeah. was not. ET yeah, literally just was just a straw that broke the camel's back. It wasn't entirely Atari's fault, but they were a large part of it. Have either of you guys played the game? I have never. Uh, played I haven't. It. I've, no. seen, I've seen. Yeah, I've seen play. I've seen videos of it. Uh, it looks atrocious, but I haven't oh, played it. Looks it. Fucking god! Haven't subjected myself to that. Oh, it's such a pain. Like anytime you're walking around and you just. You're nowhere near one of these pits, and then the top of E.T.'s head <laughs> touches the bottom of a pit. But, you know, you think where his legs are should be important about whether he falls into a fucking pit or not. But <laughs> the top of his head just, like, grazes this pit, and you go tumbling in. And then it takes you, like, ten seconds to get out because he has to levitate out. Yeah. And as soon as you get back to the top and you press any direction, like, you fall you back, back in. in. It's just, like, <laughs> Oh, On behalf so of our listeners, I want to uh, thank you, Morgs, for sacrificing your sanity <laughs> to, uh, to, to bring this segment to us. Uh, I love how um, much this game activated your almonds. Yeah, um, Brad and I have watched this guy from Rooster Teeth. I'm sure you've seen these videos as well, Lachlan, that does mm. those um, Rage Quit <laughs> videos. Yeah, I was, Michael. Yeah. yeah, I was feeling like him when I was playing ET. I was just like, <laughs> I can't. I was like, if if it was Christmas morning, nineteen eighty two, and I was playing this game, I wouldn't just go, oh yeah, this is as shit as everyone thinks it is, and just <laughs> given up because you wouldn't know. You would yeah. think that you were doing something wrong. You'd be like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm doing the wrong. I got to be more careful with that, or blah blah blah. I'm no, like, it's not your fault. It's just a shitty game with shitty mechanics and the the problem with the game is five weeks to produce it they get one guy say go home go to your house work on the game go to sleep (laughs) wake up work on it again and just do it all by yourself all like you doing one thing and he goes home and comes up with this high concept game with this cubic (laughs) (laughs) map this map that fits on a cube doesn't explain it to anybody and he's just got this really convoluted game which he thinks is really cool and it doesn't get product tested because there's no time for product testing and just this one guy does it Four million copies of a game get produced because one guy's like, "Yeah, I made this game." Wait, you just don't get it. It's too high concept for you. Right? Yeah, it was ahead of his time. It's art. Yeah, it's too smart for us. I can't believe they made the map a cube. That's fucking hilarious. It's so frustrating. I actually did it. I like when I played the game. I legitimately didn't know it was a cube until after. Um, mm. So I was playing it like someone who didn't know it was a cube and I was just walking around and I was like, why are these screens repeating in really weird fucked up ways? And it just it doesn't make any sense. Like the yeah. place that you land in is like a forest thing. So you, if you go down, 
there's like one of the well areas. If you go left, there's one of the well areas. If you go right, there's one of the well areas. And if you go up, there's one of the well areas. So it's like all directions <laughs> from that. And then like you, you'd start moving around them. And when you move around the well areas left and right, you go up again and you're back to that forest screen. So you're like, how many of these? What, what, what the fuck? You think there's like a hundred screens because it's just like repeating in a bunch of different ways. And you don't even know what oh, you're supposed yeah. to do. Like there's no introduction that says like collect the phone pieces from the bottom of the pits. It was just like. Yeah. You didn't have time for that shit, man. E.T., the game so bad it gave Morgan PTSD. <laughs> well, I was thinking today, today when games are made, they get put through beta testing and product testing and, like, mm-hmm. do the, do the um, consumers like it and stuff like that. And it's just, like, I guess with the how the scope of games is, like, changed and become so much bigger, you, you couldn't physically make a game in five weeks anyway. But, like... You would never ever just go, all right, this one guy thinks this game is good, so let's make him four million copies. Like, it was just ridiculous. The hubris. The hubris. The hubris. Of Atari. Uh, just outrageous. They got what they deserve. Yeah. Get fucked. All right. <laughs> Okay, so we've got a couple of segments to close it out. I think I'll go first with um, Morgan's movie review. Morgan. 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 Morgan's movie review. All right. Um, yesterday was my girlfriend's birthday. Happy birthday, baby. I love you. We went to... <laughs> Happy um, birthday, Shan. <laughs> we went to Hoyt's Lux to see The Lion King 2019. Uh, the Lion King is an amazing achievement of animation. I don't want to sound like an old man here, but it blew my fucking mind how realistic all that shit looked. Seriously, apart from the animals speaking English, it looked like a fucking 4K nature documentary. Oh, how far we've come in the 25 years since the cartoon Lion King, which wasn't fooling anyone, everyone knows it was drawn, to a Lion King... To a Lion King that looks like it was filmed with real animals. So how long is it now until Tom Cruise can get his beautiful body scanned by a supercomputer and they can animate a movie that looks indistinguishable from one that Tom Cruise himself actually filmed? Good lord, we could have 10 Tom Cruise films a year. Look into (laughs) deepfakes, it's real, it's scary as shit. Yeah, deepfakes are crazy. The future is bright. How do I know that? Well, I know it's bright. Because we're living in it. We are living in the future. Go buy yourself a silver <laughs> jumpsuit. The Jetsons is a documentary and magic is real. Nothing can stop us from transcending this mortal world. We have become gods. Nine out of ten. Oh, that's good. <laughs> I'm glad you liked it, Mox. Um, Can you tell me how that relates to uh, to any of this? <laughs> Wild card. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. God, Implying it has to relate. Come on. Uh, <laughs> that was that's good. Um Ah, yeah, deep fakes, man. What a fucking trip. <laughs> we'll put a link in the description mm. to the um deep fakes of um is it Joe Rogan talking about the Oh, the that voice is real new. 
Oh, that's, that's a crazy. that's a different thing. That's um, AI generated voice. Deepfakes is um, actual video it's footage. Faces, yep. Oh. They, they, I think Fucking the, the the maybe voices we'll, is more we'll talk about recent than the faces, but um, yeah, if you combine, want to see a good rundown the deep of fakes deep and fakes. the fake voices, oh, you can just oh, no, make fucking video of anyone doing anything. Yeah, if you, if you um, want to see a good rundown of deep fakes, check out a YouTube channel called Corridor Crew. I think yeah, Corridor Crew. They did one yeah. with uh, Tom Cruise impersonator and oh. Keanu Reeves recently as well. Yeah, and the algorithms that they set up and. Like they ran it for like a weekend, and it was almost indistinguishable from like a front-on view from. Yeah, it's fucking ridiculous. Fucking scary. Uh, They're they're, and they're just a couple of dudes running out of an office. Like if you think about the government or or like a state who wants to fuck someone over. The fakes are going to be the weapons of the. Yeah, you won't even be able to believe your eyes anymore. Like it won't be like, oh, that's obviously CG. It's like they can make a video of you killing someone more. and be like, you're going to jail, brother. It's a video. It's fucked up. Yeah, it's just, oh, it scares me. It scares me. Yeah, that's that's a that's another that's a fucking rabbit hole that we can go down another time. Oh, you should have seen Lion King, bro. Crazy. Yeah, God. that fucking lion is implicated in so many crimes now. <laughs> 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 oh shit. Uh, okay, so that was Morgan's movie review. Should we finish up with Brad's power rankings? Power rankings. Well, boys, in the uh, in the spirit of the of the episode we're doing today, wildcard bitches. It's not power rankings. It's top five trivia. All right, it's five fun facts about dolls. Fuck. Right, <laughs> wildcard bitches. Uh, all right. That's pretty short and sharp, just to finish us off. Good money shot. Number one. Oh, God. Barbie has three sisters, Skipper, Stacey, and Chelsea. Skipper. Really? Yeah. I knew about Still Skipper. Chicks there. Yeah, I knew about Skipper, but Stacey and Chelsea, where the fuck Skipper's are they? Skipper's a guy, oh. man. What are you talking about? Well, well it's his sister. I think it's actually a dog's name more than anything. But uh. hmm. Well, number two. The first found ragdolls were Roman and dated from around 300 BC. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. Interesting facts. Uh, ragdolls number three. cats, aren't they? No, ragdolls. Like dogs made with rags. Cats. <laughs> number three. The most expensive doll in the world is, I'm going to butcher this, L'Oyster. It's French. <laughs> yep, you did butcher that. <laughs> I think you did that perfectly, right? That sounded great. L'Oyster. You can get Tiff to tell me how to say it. The bird trainer. It's worth $6.25 million. Is it actually worth that much or is that just the price on it? Because well, there is a difference. Guess... <laughs> Fuck the That's a very um... expensive sex doll. <laughs> it's definitely a sex doll. <laughs> you can't no spend six spending that much money on a doll. Yeah. It. I mean, That's right. <laughs> uh, number four. The first articulated dolls appeared somewhere around 200 BC. Articulated? Hmm. Yep, yeah, so movable joints. Interesting. Yeah. Um, number five. Anyone who owns dolls over the age of ten is a fucking sociopath and should be locked up before they inevitably kill again. <laughs> wow. So yeah, five fun facts about dolls, bitches. <laughs> I feel like you still should have gone five to one, but yeah. That's <laughs> just me being a it's just me being a stickler. Wildcard. That's all I'm gonna say. Wildcard, yeah. That's it, I'm out. <laughs> 
And here's a handy tip. If you can't afford a doll, but you have a shovel, you can just go to <laughs> a graveyard and find a girl who died as a child. <sighs> All right. Well, uh, thank you for listening. <laughs> Genuinely, thank you. I don't know why you listen to this fucking bullshit. Uh, <laughs> we have been Brad is a Bad Person. You can find us at bradisbadperson.com. Please subscribe to get new episodes as soon as they are available every Sunday, 11 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. Uh, please also like us on Facebook. Uh, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. You can uh, shoot us a message. Tell us what you want us to talk about because we'll we'll take suggestions. We're uh, we're reasonable guys. We'll, we'll look into stuff that uh, you think would be interesting for us to talk about. Nothing. And, you need uh, to be fifty percent more needier. And uh, please, <laughs> please, <laughs> for the love Stop of it. all that is holy. Please share these episodes with your friends. <laughs> we really, we really want people to listen to them, and uh, if you could share yeah. with your friends, that just helps out so much. Uh, but on a more serious note, if you do want to help support the show, uh, please rate and review us on iTunes. That is the uh, best thing you can do to help us out at this juncture. We've got dead kid dolls to make, ain't cheap. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> Graves don't dig themselves up. Exactly.